here. So Exodus chapter 16 this morning. Let's listen uh, to the word of the Lord. Exodus 16, beginning at verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when, the, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. The people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. When they measured it with an, uh, with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept to the morning. They laid it aside to the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. 
On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my law? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called this name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is a tenth part of an ephah. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do pray. As all of us sit under the authority of your word, I pray that you will teach us, and I pray that we will listen. I pray that our hearts will be open. I pray that we would be encouraged by your word, and I pray that we will be built up by it through the power of the Spirit to become more like you, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray and ask this in your name. Amen. Last week, uh, we talked about uh, we talked about life's bitter experiences and what, uh, what we learn in those experiences about the character of our God and about what it means to, uh, what it means to obey him. And I mentioned that, that Israel was going to discover that the journey in the wilderness, the journey from slavery to oppression, uh, to God's rest in the promised land, that, that it would be filled with, with Maras. Mara was the place where they, uh, where they found water, but the water was bitter. They, they were going to learn that in their journey, uh, it was going to be filled with opportunities to learn uh, about the character of God and how to, obey, how to obey him when life is hard. And uh, embedded in Israel's journey uh, is a lesson uh, for all of us uh, who are Christians. We have, we have been delivered uh, through faith in Jesus Christ from slavery uh, and oppression to sin and death, and we are on our way to God's uh, promise future home. Yet in, yet in between, in between, uh, in between our salvation and our, uh, our arrival home, uh, we will as well as Christians be confronted with Maras. We will be confronted with life's bitter experiences. And we too, uh, as Christians, will get an education in those experiences in the character of God and in God's call to obedience. In fact, God uses those very experiences, those bitter places of life, to mature our faith. Uh, Barry Henning, who is the founding pastor of New City Fellowship in St. Louis, uh, he wrote about trials in a training manual we use to train our leaders uh, in our church. And uh, responding to the question, what makes up these trials? What makes up these trials? Uh, Barry writes... What makes up these trials is all kinds of things. The stupid, sinful, rebellious things people do, and we ourselves do, as well as the incredibly evil, 
destructive things that people do and we ourselves can do, as well as all the natural problems of living in a fallen world, sickness, disease, and death, as well as the great spiritual oppression Satan brings against us as we stand in, this, uh, in the midst of darkness and be light. Uh, we often ask in our trials if God is testing us or if this is simply the result of our own doing or the result of someone else's sin or the result of uh, the natural circumstances of living in a broken world. I believe Pastor Barry was right. God uses all of our trials even the ones that result from our sinful choices or the ones that result from the sinful choices of others or the ones that result from natural calamities that are a part of a broken world. He uses all of that to mature our faith. Israel is most certainly in this position of hunger because of Egypt's sin. And yet, you might argue also because of the natural circumstances of the place they are in. It's a wilderness, after all, where securing food would prove to be a difficulty in any case. And it's almost certainly going to be the case in Israel's journey through the wilderness that Israel's own sin is going to cause hardship and trial to arise in her life. And yet the faithfulness of God to those who trust Him is that no matter what the reason is, for the trial, no matter, what, no matter what the reason for the trial, he will be faithful, the Scriptures teach us, to use that trial as a means of maturing our faith, maturing the faith of his people as he meets us in those places. And that's exactly what we see in this text. We see God meeting his people in order that he might show them again who he is and move them toward a deeper faith. How many of you have ever said to God, God, I want to be stronger in my faith? How many of you have ever said to God, I want to trust you more deeply and I want to follow you more faithfully? Well, if you've ever prayed that prayer or are truly longing for that to be the case, then you can expect that a part of the means that God uses to mature that faith and deepen it is trial. And by the way, if you're a Christian, even if you don't ask for it, <laughs> God is actually faithful. He's faithful to bring it into your life that you might deepen in your faith as he meets you in those trials. So again, the question for us is how does God meet us? How does he meet us in these trials? What do we learn about God's character in the midst of these trials? And what do we learn about the obedience that he calls us to in those trials. In case the lack of water, uh, as in the case of the lack of water, this trial uh, posed a real danger for the people of Israel. They were in a place where acquiring food would have been extremely difficult for such a large company of people. And trying to travel long distances without food would almost certainly have proved fatal for some in the community. Thus again, the complaining, the complaining, the grumbling, if you will, from a human standpoint is understandable. However, as they had in the previous trial, Israel turns the grumbling into the complaining into a charge, this time against Moses and Aaron. 
Rather than groaning to God for help and trusting that he would hear their cry, their cry as he had before, they complain. They complain. They grumble against their leaders. And the grumbling is compounded this time by, by the ridiculous assertion that it would have been better to die in Egypt as slaves because at least they would have died with full stomachs. Now, I don't know, maybe dying with a full stomach is better than dying of hunger. I haven't died in either case, so I couldn't tell you. What I can tell you is that the comparison of 400 years of affliction in Egypt, which included a period of intense slavery, can't be equated, cannot be equated with a, full, with, with a few days without food. The latter is a real hardship, but the two are not close to being equivalent. And yet, if we're honest, this kind of, this, this is kind of what we do in our trials too, right? Maybe I was actually better off in that abusive relationship because at least I had money to pay my bills. Maybe I was better off in that dysfunctional family setting because at least I could say I belonged to something. Maybe I was better off in that dysfunctional church setting. At least I could point to my good works in that setting. Yet what we have to learn through our trials are the same things that Israel had to learn. (laughs) That through our trials, God's character comes forth and his call to obedience comes forth as he meets us in these things. Amen, people of God. So what's the first thing God teaches Israel that he's also teaching us? Well, through trial, God teaches us the lesson of trusting him for our daily bread. Through trial, God teaches us the lesson of trusting him for our daily bread. If we take uh, Israel's complaint to Moses in verse 3 at face value, uh, they, they, that they had enough to eat in Egypt, Uh, that they didn't have to worry about food, then God's answer to this current trial uh, is a direct response uh, to that assertion. And even if Israel is exaggerating the case a bit, the point is still the same. They felt that at least in Egypt, they didn't have to worry about food. So in verses 4 to 12, uh, in the process of informing them that, that it is not Aaron uh, uh, or, or, or uh, it's not he and Aaron who they are complaining against, but, but rather the Lord himself. Moses informs them as to how God is going to answer their grumbling. Now, it's important. It's important for the people to understand that it is indeed God that they are complaining against. For it is God who had set them free um, and, and not Moses and Aaron. It is God who is leading them on this journey through the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire uh, by night. And it is God himself uh, in verses 4 to 5 and 12 who declares that he is about to provide for them bread from heaven. Moses and Aaron are his servant leaders to the people along the journey, but it is God who has brought them out. It's God who's won their salvation. It's God who's leading them. And the same is true in our lives. Same is true in our lives. It's God who saved us. It's God who is providentially working through all the trials we encounter. And and one of the lessons that God actually wants to teach us uh, through our trials is dependency upon Him for our daily bread. This is what the manna from heaven 
uh, is all about. Now, not only did God supernaturally uh, provide an edible bread-like substance from heaven each day for his people, he also made sure that it was only enough for that day for each person in the household, with twice as much being gathered on the sixth day. We'll talk about the sixth day in a few minutes. The point here is that anything left over, as you saw in the story, would spoil. Why? Why? Because God was teaching, God was teaching his people the very important lesson that their daily needs were not dependent upon anything or anyone else but him. They were being taught, brothers and sisters, that they could trust him each and every day for what they needed for that day, not only to live, but to thrive. And for people who depended on sowing and planting and harvesting and saving up enough to get to the next season, this, had, this would have been a very hard lesson to learn. Indeed, it's a hard lesson for us to learn. For if, for, for few, if any of us actually live day to day materially in this culture, where most of us learn this lesson of daily bread is in our trials. Where most of us learn this lesson of daily bread is in our trials. We learn it in those spaces where something is taken away from us upon which we depend. We, we, we learn it in those spaces where something is taken away from us upon which we depend. Israel's normal cycle of sowing and planting and harvesting was disrupted in the wilderness. Even, even the raising of livestock would have proved a challenge in the wilderness where food and water was not regularly plentiful. Not only was Israel hungry, but their ability to provide for themselves in that hunger was removed, such that they would have to depend each day on God to be faithful to provide the manna. What I'm saying is that trial often removes something on which we depend and places us in the position where we have to rely on God each day to provide the thing that we need. And so the question becomes, are we going to trust God to provide? And the reason this question is important is because it is our lack of faith in God's day-to-day -day provision that actually leads us toward disobedience, as we see in the narrative in verses 19 to 20. God says, just gather up enough from the day, for the day. And what do the people do? Well, they try to gather up enough for, for more than a day. And what happens? They leave it, they leave some of it over, and what happens? It spoils. Those who kept it to the morning did so because they weren't sure that they were going to wake up the next day and find it. And in our trials, we act similarly to Israel. But God wants to free us by showing us his faithfulness each day. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you've seen this faithfulness day to day. Amen, people of God. And so the call here is to trust him. And one of the ways we can demonstrate that daily bread trust is by resisting the temptation to think only of ourselves, only of our own needs each day, but to share what we have 
with others. There would have almost certainly been persons in the community who could not have gathered for themselves due to age or physical disability. And the instructions in verse 16 speak of gathering an omer for the number of persons in the tent. Go gather enough for everybody in the tent. In other words, don't just think about yourself. Think about everybody under your tent who needs to eat. But in a culture that encourages us to think about ourselves first, the point where we have not only a, to the point where we have not only enough for today, but enough for the future, our generosity is often diminished to what we have left over after we have secured our own needs, not only for today, but for tomorrow. The result being that some of us are more well-fed while others are hungry. Some of us are more well-educated while others are uneducated. Some of us are more, have more than enough shelter while others live, uh, don't have a place to live. Some of us have more, more than enough rest while others are forced to work relentlessly just to teeter on the edge of making it or not making it. And so the call to share should force us to look at our own lives and ask, am I gathering in my gathering Am I considering the needs of those outside of myself, outside of my family, outside of my networks of friends? Don't mishear me this morning. Uh, Your tent and the persons in it matter, and they must be cared for, but so do the other tents in the household of God. Amen, people of God. So through trial, through trial, God teaches us this lesson of trusting him for our daily bread so that we're able to actually enter into the call that he has placed on us, not only just to care about ourselves, but to care about others. The second thing that God teaches Israel through this trial of hunger and that he also teaches us is the, important, the importance of Sabbath rest, the important, importance of Sabbath rest. God only, not only taught Israel the lesson of relying on him for daily bread, he also taught her the lesson of, of, of rest, of Sabbath rest. While God, while God would spell out the rules for the Sabbath more clearly when the people got to Mount Sinai and even more fully in the ministry of Jesus, he was in this story preparing his people to embrace the importance of the Sabbath day. On the sixth day, Israel was to gather enough of the manna, to gather enough of the manna that, so that it would last through the seventh day. For the seventh day was a day of solemn rest, a day set aside especially for the Lord. So no one was to gather on that day, and God made sure of this by not providing manna on the seventh day, so that even if someone went out to gather it, they would not find manna on that day. On the sixth day, gather enough for the seventh, so on the seventh day you may rest before the Lord. And there were a couple of big principles embedded in the Sabbath rest that had practical import for how Israel was to spend the day. First and foremost, it, it was to be a day unto the Lord. It's a day unto the Lord. It was a day in which she was to set aside time with God, a day in which she was to be reminded and to remind herself that she was created for relationship with God. And it was also a day of rest, a day in which work was to cease, a day to remind God's people that their purpose in life was not simply or even solely bound up in production, but in loving community and fellowship. And that is a reflection of God's image in this world 
an image of the love that exists within the Trinity. This is why Jesus' acts of mercy were not a violation, right, of the Sabbath. For in healing people, he was setting them free to participate in that community of fellowship before the Lord on that day. This is why he received invitations to eat with people on the Sabbath. Again, a reflection of the community that God intended for human beings to exhibit as a reflection of his image. So the Sabbath day was a day spent unto the Lord. It was a day spent in community. It was a day spent working where necessary to free others to participate in the rest that the Sabbath held out. And in this passage, God, through this trial of hunger, he was beginning to teach his people the importance of that day, the importance of rest. How many of us in our trials, if we're honest, how many of us in our trials can hardly focus on God through the week, can hardly focus on the needs of community? our need for community during the week, can hardly focus on our call to give others rest. So God establishes this day, which since the resurrection of the Lord is Sunday, to reorient us to our need for Him, our need for each other, and our need to participate with Him in helping others enter into His rest. He even tells His people essentially to make their food preparations on the day before so that nothing will get in the way of His purposes for them on that day. So I would this morning commend to all of us the importance of this day, the importance of worship and time with the Lord, the importance of hospitality and fellowship, the importance where necessary of helping others participate in this day more fully by attending to the urgent needs of their life. And I would commend us not to pass judgment on each other (laughs) on this day, except where participating, uh, except where we are not participating in what God calls us to. So God was teaching Israel in this trial of hunger how much she needed the blessing of the Sabbath, and God teaches us the same in our trials. So I would encourage you this morning, let's not waste that lesson, but let's fully take advantage of this day. The call here brothers and sisters, is to truly set aside the Sabbath for the purposes that God has given it to us. Don't neglect the worship of God on this day. Don't neglect the opportunities for community and hospitality on this day. And when necessity demands it, don't neglect doing what you can to aid others in need so that they can enter as well into God's rest. I'm not here to lord it over your Sunday schedule I'm here to encourage you to enter into the rest that God has actually designed for you in this day. So enjoy God, enjoy the people of God, enjoy the call of God to help others enter into this day. And one word of encouragement to all of us this morning is that if this is not your practice, I would encourage you to think about how you can prepare for the Sabbath, how you can prepare in a way that reduces your need on this day to give attention to other things that don't help you worship the Lord, that don't help you enter into community and hospitality, that don't help you enter into the call to aid others in resting on this day. Moses even gave the additional instruction to prepare on the day before the Sabbath. Again, I'm not here to give you a list of things to do, only to encourage you to think of ways that you can prepare so that this day truly becomes what God calls it to be, a day of, a day of rest. Amen, people of God.
So through trial, God teaches us about daily bread. He teaches us about the Sabbath. Finally, God teaches us on this day the importance of telling the story of his faithful acts to others. The importance of telling the story of his faithful acts to others. The people of God were called to put an omer of manna in a jar, the same amount that was gathered for each person on the Sabbath day. And they were to place it before the Lord. In other words, it was to be placed with what would eventually become the ark where the law of God was placed. It was to be a perpetual reminder of how God met his people in the wilderness and provided for their hunger. In other words, it was to be a perpetual testimony of God's faithfulness to his people. It, 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 would, be, it, it would be for the whole community what Reverend Clay Evans would pen centuries later in a song. When I look back over my life and I think things over, I can truly say that I've been blessed. I've got a testimony. And in the case the first verse didn't grab them, the lead singer would sing, sometimes I couldn't see my way through. But the Lord, he brought me out. Right now, I'm free. I've got the victory. I've got a testimony. You see, your, your trials actually aren't just for you. Don't get me wrong. God is working on you. He's working in you. He's working through you in your trials. Yet he is also preparing through you a story that he can tell the rest of the family of faith, your neighbors and the world. He wants all of them to see you, to see in you the glory of his salvation, the glory of how his salvation works in the real world of difficulty and trial. And here is the good news for those of you who are in trial today. The testimony isn't really about how faithful you were in the process. The maturing of your faith is an important and vital part of what God is doing in your trial. But did you hear what the songwriter said? Sometimes I couldn't see my way through, but the Lord brought me out. Let's say it again. Sometimes I couldn't see my way through, but the Lord brought me out. Listen again to verse 35. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They, 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 they ate manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. That meant that in their trial, God met them every single day. For how many years? One year. Two years? Three years. Five years? Ten years. Fifteen years? How many years? Forty years God provided for his people. Israel woke up every single morning, and you know what was on the ground? Food. They went to bed, they woke up the next morning, and what was on the ground? Food. They went to bed, they woke up the next morning, and what was on the ground? Food. When the journey started, they had no idea how they were going to make it. No idea how they were going to get water. No idea how they were going to get food. No idea 
how they were going to stand against armies better equipped and trained than they were. They had no idea how they were going to make it through anything that they would face. But the Lord, he brought them out. And so our testimony then isn't that we did, isn't about what we did to get out, but about what God did to bring us out. And glory be to God. He uses all kinds of means to bring us out and to care for us until, until he brings us to the rest that he has prepared for us. I don't know where you are this morning, brothers and sisters. I don't know what the circumstances of your life are. I don't know what your trials are. The Lord does. I just know that if you're in a hard place, God isn't going to abandon you in that place. And I know that through faith in Jesus, your story will become a testimony of God's salvation, not only to yourself, but to your neighbors and to the world. Your trials, brothers and sisters, have given you a testimony, given you a story of God's faithfulness, of the faithful acts of salvation in your life. Don't don't keep those stories to yourself. When God gives you opportunity, tell your story. Share your testimony. Let others hear the ways that God has kept you, redirected you, changed you, healed you, delivered you, challenged you, met you in your trials. God's faithfulness is on the pages of the Holy Scriptures, but it's also on the pages of your life. There is someone in the family who is going through something who don't believe that they are going to make it, it just might be, it just might be that the story of how God met you may be the very thing they need so that they might know that God can meet them as well. Your memorial jar, in other words, is your own testimonies of God's faithfulness in your life in the midst of trials. And so put that jar on display, open it up so that others can see how God has met you. I can't tell you, I can't tell you how helpful it's been over the years for Tanya and I as we've sat in the homes of Christians or across the table with other Christians for coffee, dinner, lunch, and listen to the stories of God's faithfulness in people's lives. And at times we've looked at each other as if to say, dang, if they can make it through that, then surely we can make it through what we are facing as well. The testimony of God's people are not only an encouragement, they are a reminder of the faithfulness of God in his salvation work. Amen, people of God. So trials are the means through which God matures our faith. They're the means through which we grow in our understanding of God's character and the obedience that he calls us to as his people. In trials, we learn who he is, and we learn what he has called us to. He teaches us in our trials the lesson of daily bread, the importance of Sabbath rest, and the importance of telling our story of God's salvation in our lives. Amen, people of God. God, help us. Help us to believe in our trials that this is who you are, and this is who you call us to, call us to be. Let me pray for us. Father, we give you praise today. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are the God who meets us in all of our trials, Lord, whether they're the trials of our own making, whether they're the trials that other people 
uh, have caused by their sin, whether or not they are just the reality of living in a broken and fallen world, Lord, whatever circumstances we as your people find ourselves in, the promise of the Scriptures and the promise that we even see in this story is that you will meet us in our trials and that you will work through them, Lord, to teach us those lessons that we need to learn, that our faith may be deepened in who you are and that we might be able to walk out, Lord, and obey you and do the things you call us to. So I pray for your people this morning to believe the gospel. I pray for them this morning to believe who you are. And I pray for them this morning, Lord, to have the power to walk in the faithfulness that you call us to, Lord. Thank you for being the God who grants us our daily bread. Thank you for being the God who gives us rest in your presence. And thank you for being the God who has given us a story, a testimony of your salvation in our lives. Lord, I pray for your people that they would embrace who you are and what you're doing in their lives. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty, powerful name. Amen.